Well, I love the fact that these songs speak directly to what I want to preach today. So that's a good sign that we're all synced to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So we're going to continue in our series on the letter Paul wrote to the Ephesians. So we finished chapter 1, quite a challenge. We're now in chapter 2. So I want you to turn there with me, and we're going to look at the first uh, 10 verses, God willing. Amen? As we go through this verse by verse, amen, may even be some word by word kinds of teaching here. Amen? So uh, Ephesians 2, if you would stand with me, uh, we're going to look at what I think to be the central verse of this particular book, which is found up there on the screen, where it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and uh, how we get to that, we'll see here in the first uh, seven or eight verses, before we get to that particular passage that's up on the screen, which I believe to be the, the main thought, the main theme of this particular letter that uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians. It says this in verse 1, And you, remember he's talking to the church, were, past tense, dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And then we go to verse 4. There's the powerful transition word that makes all the difference. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is a gift of God, not a result of work so that you may boast, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Amen? Let's pray for God's uh, blessing on a sermon this morning. Let's bow our heads. Father, thank you again. My prayer, Lord, is that your word will come alive in our hearts that we would be uh, brought back to uh, a very simple understanding of the, of the gospel, which I think Paul uh, so perfectly details in his writings. Without any doubt, Lord, we understand, Lord, that this is some, something you have done, and we should be grateful because of your work through your Son, Jesus Christ, and because of the work that you've done in our hearts so that we might call out on your name and be saved. So we ask for your uh, leading and guiding and protection this morning, and we just pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. So in chapter 2, Paul's going to transition here a little bit from what he did in chapter 1, 
in that he described to us all of the glory of God's uh, work through his son Jesus Christ. Now he's going to tell us what, why, why salvation, why the cross. So he says here in chapter 2, and he illustrates for us our previous sinful condition. Okay, you and you were dead in trespasses and sins. He goes right to it. Were being past tense, right? He illustrates our previous uh, sinful condition or sinful nature. And then he also will illustrate God's humility in our salvation when he sent his son Jesus Christ to suffer on the cross for us. He's going to demonstrate these two things. Uh, what I think, and when you read this, uh, he says, and you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked, were once walked. It's pretty realistic, isn't it? It's pretty straightforward. He doesn't hold back any punches. Very candid, very direct. It's an unflattering picture of lost humanity. Definitely not a picture you're going to put on a Facebook post. The image here of being dead in sins and trespasses. Paul describes here the misery of fallen man. This is one of the things that we have to get to right from the beginning as he is. So some theologians, depending on the school of theology, which there are many out there, but some describe this condition, this fallen condition, as depravity or bankruptcy. And I think it's a good description Uh, by uh, these schools of theology to describe us. And since the fall of Adam and Eve, because of their sin and disobedience that you find in in Genesis 3, the human race, all of the human race, has been mired in mud, if you would, of sin, the mud of sin. They've been stuck, trapped. And they desperately need a Savior. That's what this is leading us to. Verse... uh, The rest of this verse, as we look at it, it says, You were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Now, when it talks about walked in the Bible, it's describing your behavior. How you once behaved. You could easily say how you once, uh, 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 I guess the word would be conducted yourself, right? Your conduct. Your pr- the, the, the practice of your lifestyle? Is that, is that that's a way we could get this out to understand it? He says that you were dead in trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Once walked. Not how you're walking now as born-again believers. So what's man described as in his um, unredeemed state? Dead. That's the word that comes out really strong we were once dead spiritually speaking but not only spiritually speaking there's actually three deaths described in the bible the one is physical death that's why adam and eve the curse that felt everyone dies to been appointed to man wants to die and then the judgment that's a fact one of the facts that uh, man would try to ignore or some way or another just put off and not think about and prepare themselves for what, what happens after, after life, that everybody will face it one way or another, death. So we are, spiritually speaking, um, 
physically dead and we're also spiritually dead as Paul's describing here and you know that ultimately we will be eternally dead if we're still unredeemed if we're not saved eternally dead separated from God that that's what Paul's uh, alluding to here but we can see this this dead in trespasses and sin that's what trespasses and sins do to us that's the consequence of them right we could see man spiritually walking like a corpse. Oh, there was a movie, Dead Men Walking. I don't know if you remember it, Penn, Sean Penn. He was uh, in prison and he was going to be executed. He had a death sentence. Well, spiritually speaking, so do all of we. And that seems kind of right to the point. But that's what Paul does and that's what I'm trying to do. Man exists, he breathes, right? But he has, according to... Paul's letter here in chapter 2. He has no spiritual life. So far as the things of God are concerned, spiritually speaking, our bodies are, are cold, clammy, stiff, decaying, spiritually speaking. We have no ability to respond, no knowledge, no awareness of God, no ability to do anything about it. And so tragically this condition that we're living in this sinful condition that we're living in this deadness if you will uh, leads and is the source of all corruption all evil it's the origin of grief and suffering due to being spiritually dead the body the dead spiritual body our dead spiritual body i'm referring to is the vehicle for every kind of sin right I've done the exercise before, so I'm not going to do it. But I can simply just say, have you ever lied? And if you say no, you're lying. So there you go. Sin leads to death, according to God's standards. Remember, we're not talking about man's standard. Oh, it's okay, you know. To, you know we'll just overlook it. No, he can't. Because he's holy. He's just. So this is what we see here, ultimately, that man is dead. So I'm going to give you a couple examples, and I forgot to bring my examples, because I actually had, for instance, a stick, a dried up stick. You could use it as a, as a cane or as a hiking stick, right? If I were to just drop it on the floor, can it do anything for itself? No. Just dead. No life. Right? Can it Cry out for help? No. Right? Can it move? Like it doesn't like where it is, so it goes somewhere else. No, that, that's it's dead. Right? Jesus talked about the fig tree that Israel was representative by in a parable as being dead. And what did he do? And say what happened to it? It would be cut down and burned because it's worthless. However, we do know that there is going to be a revival in the last days where God will bring life back to Israel. When he used that parable, he was describing their condition when he came. They were dead. They were like the fig tree, which should have been producing fruit, because a healthy tree will produce fruit. But they weren't a healthy tree when he came, and we know what they did to him. And so he described Israel, his chosen nation, of priests and kings as dead, spiritually speaking. 
But thank God for the Old Testament, which describes to us that God will one day in the future bring them back to life. But, but if God doesn't, they stay dead. Now, remember when Jesus, how about a rock? Have you guys ever seen a rock talk? That, that rhymes too, just to remember. Have you ever seen a rock talk? No. There's a rock you know, look up at, you know, like on a mountain, let's say, a rock on Mount Baldy, look up and say, oh man, it's so beautiful today. I love the snow. Don't really like it on me, but does a rock have the ability to do that? No, it's dead. Can a rock move and go somewhere else other than by the forces of gravity or somebody picks it up and moves it or however, but not on its own? No, it's dead. I'm trying to get somewhere with this, so bear with me. You can't do anything. But Jesus said on that day in the, when he entered into Jerusalem before his crucifixion, the triumphal entry, when he was being praised by the crowds, Hosanna, blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord, right? And it had been pro- prophesied that one day the Messiah would come in and he would receive those praises and that worship and the pharisees and the leaders which were dead spiritually speaking said hey hey tell don't hey why are you allowing these people to to to, to sing praises to you and he said well they don't the rocks will right so who can bring according to jesus analogy if you will who could bring life to that which is dead christ right the same thing with the victory Then there's this amazing prophecy in Ezekiel where he sees this huge field of dead bones. And the prophet is weeping because, you know, it's a representative of Israel. And he says, and he goes on to describe how those bones literally, flesh would literally go back onto them and life would be literally breathed back onto them and he describes that being something that God will do in the last day for Israel again bones, everybody see a bone can a bone sing you know can a bone move no it's dead that is descriptive of our spiritual condition once before Christ B.C., before Christ. Sam had a plant in his bathroom and in some water. And I watched that thing over how many months? It's been like, I don't know, six months. Slowly, slowly turn yellow. The other day I was in there restocking a cabinet. and looked in the trash can and there they were. This plant that he once had that was green and alive I don't know if it was because the bathroom was always dark had just died can't do anything with it anymore doubt you can't like plant it back in the soil and it's going to be it just won't, it's de- they're, they're dead what am I trying to do here what am I trying to help understand we were once in sins and trespasses dead Paul says. And we were following, if we keep reading verse 2, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, following the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Who's the prince of the power of the air? 
Satan. And he has a spirit. There's a spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. There's a spirit leading people now in the flesh. And they're doing dead things. Just go into Galatians 5 and you see what the evidence or what the works of the flesh are. Describes lying, it describes jealousy, it describes anger, it describes all kinds of things that we have come to know as sin. So what Paul's describing here is that we were once, notice that, we were once following, once, it was in the past, the course of this world, the ideologies of this world, the trends uh, of this world, the interests of this world. They, they had captivated us, uh, right? Before we were si saved in, in our sins. And now that spirit continues to work in those that don't know him. Right? The world, when it talks about the, the course of the world, in the Greek it's cosmos. The Russians were smart in that when they put up their version of astronauts, they call them cosmonite, cosmonauts. Because they're no longer part of the, they were part of this world, but they were out in, the, out, out in space, right? And what does cosmos mean? It's all the values and it's the standard that the world has, the belief system that the world has apart from God. That's what he's referring to here when he talks about the course of this world. And when he talks about the prince of the power of the air. When he talks about the spirit that's now working in the sons of disobedience. It exists. It's out there. In the life of those who don't know him. But that's where we were once. We're once. Not now. And Paul's leading to that. So he goes on to say in verse 3, Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. And in, the, in our flesh we carried out the desires of the body and the mind, which means that we were slaves to the flesh. And we were, now check this out, we were, again, by nature, were by nature children of wrath like the rest of the world or mankind. What is a child of wrath? This means that the person that's not saved or unredeemed, this means that he's on his way to the great white throne judgment. There's no way to stop it except one. And it's the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no, everybody's on a one-way ticket because of sin and because of what we once were now not not where we are now remember one of the things that Paul's is trying to do is to help us understand our position we are now in Christ and that's a whole different dynamic for us but the children of wrath they deserve God's judgment because of sin the verdict of guilty awaits them and that's what they'll hear when they see him that day, but that can be changed. Your, your address can be changed. And it's only one way to change. It's called through a theological concept called repentance. Because you're walking in a certain direction, have no way of changing that, except when you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and you acknowledge and confess your sins and repent, which is to turn away from 180 de 
180 degree turn and you start walking toward him and with him. That's the only way to escape it. So Paul describes it pretty good. Not all first three verses I knew would be kind of uh, heavy. I'm thinking to myself as I'm studying, hey Lord, can't we just like pull that, like, like rip that out of the Bible? You know, because I'm sure that it's not going to be fun or pleasant to listen to. But it's real, right? It's realistic. Paul, as I said at the very beginning, he, uh, he's, real, he's candid. He paints this very ugly picture of man's condition in their sins. The misery, the bankruptcy, the depravity, right? And then Paul, in, in just an amazing way, as he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, in verse 4, he says, But God! But God? Yeah, because here he's saying now there's, a, he uses it as a transition. All that is true. All that is real. But God. What does that mean? He broke through. He intervened into our condition, in our situation, in our circumstances with the purpose to change our address, if you would, or our direction or our destiny. See, it's only because God, He intervenes. It's all, that's the only reason that that was what we once were previously. And now we've been transformed we've been born again we've moved from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light we moved from children of wrath to children of grace and blessings we move from being separated from god because of sin to having a relationship and access to god because of his great mercy and love for us and when we were able to say yes to christ to the message of the gospel, but God. And what about him? See, remember I told you this is his work. That's where we were, but because of his work, through his son Jesus Christ, he says he was being rich in mercy. Now I want you to focus on all of God's attributes in this next couple of verses. He was rich in what? Because of the great love with which he loved us. What kind of love? Great love. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Even when we didn't deserve it is what he's saying. When we were headed in another direction. What did he do? Look at the ver next part of the verse there that we're looking at. Verse 5. He made us alive. Who made us alive? He made us alive. Together with Christ. You know why the resurrection is so important? Because Jesus took the penalty of sin, which is death, for all of us. When we had the baptisms here on Resurrection Sunday, I made sure every time I put someone in the water, I said, dead to sin in Christ, to rise in newness of life, dead with Christ. Why? Because when he went to the grave, when he went into that tomb, he didn't die there because of his sins. He was put there because of our sins. And he took him upon his body, as Isaiah 53 says, he bore all our iniquity. He carried our sins away 
in his death. And when he rose from the dead, it justified what he did for our sins. And now we too, like he was, raised from the dead. We too can walk in newness of life. We too can be made alive by the power of God that resurrected Christ. That's the same power that gives us the born-again experience. It's all God. It's all about salvation is of the Lord. Jesus' name means God is salvation. It comes from Jesus is the Greek for Joshua, which is the shorter form of Jehovah Ashwa, which means God is salvation. There is no salvation in any other name except for that of the name of Jesus. The God was, verse 4, powerful verse. But God being rich in mercy. It's not a poor mercy. It's not a mercy that's limited. It's unlimited. And because of his great love, he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. And then the apostle is going to throw it out. By grace you have been saved. It's simply due, that is our salvation, due to his unmerited favor. You know what makes it so awesome to praise him and worship him? Is that we have this acknowledgement or this, we understand we don't deserve it. But he still offers it because it's a gift. He still offers it because it's a gift. How many of you like getting gifts? I do. Bring them on. I made the mistake of saying something to Brother Max once. <laughs> I love it. I like your boots. Well, I liked his boots. They're cool. And he looks good with the suit and everything and boots. And then a couple Sundays later, I get boots. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I didn't want boots, but I took them. And I wear them only on Resurrection Sunday. I have two in a row now. Special to me. One time I told Brother Juan Gomez, he's, not, he's in the Spanish group, he has a really cool hat. I think they're called a beret. A beret? 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 I said, hey, that's a cool hat. You know what he did? Gave it to me. Here. No, wait, well, hold on a minute. Hold on. But you know what I'm saying about gifts? Back at the other church many years ago, there's a guy, um, Sammy, you remember Willie? Oh, Sam, right there. Brother Willie, he was in a Sunday school class that I taught, and I liked his tie. I said, man, that's a nice tie, brother. He gave it, he took it off and gave it to me. I'm like, well, I didn't want you to, get, like, I wasn't saying it for you. But the point I'm trying to make is we all like gifts? Yeah, we do. I like it how uh, another brother we had here, uh, Domingo, whenever you drank coffee over in the fellowship hall, like before coming into the sanctuary, he goes, oh, this coffee tastes really good. And I, I would wait, and he would say at the end, because it's free. It's free. It always tastes better when it's free, and it's a gift. So all of what we have 
is because God, in verse 4, intervened and broke into the, the uh, history. He who dwelt outside of history. He broke into history in the person of Jesus of Nazareth in, in Nazareth in the miracle of the incarnation. And he broke in because that was his way of becoming like us so that he could stoop down to us and literally, not metaphorically, literally give us a hand and bring us out of the mire of sin, the mud of sin. He came in person and he physically came and he presented himself and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled among us according to John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was God and the Word was God and the Word dwelt among us. Because that's a picture of the tabernacle in the Old Testament. The Word dwelt is the word tabernacle. He tabernacled among us. Where else did he tabernacle? When did God in history dwell with his people? Back in the desert with Israel when they came out of Egypt. And he lived in a tent. He said they followed him in a pillar of fire during the night and a cloud during the day to protect him from the sun. So he's made us alive. What else do we have of, his, of what he did? He says, verse 6, that he raised us up with him, seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So with his resurrection, we're resurrected. With him seated in heavenly places, we're seated in heavenly places, even now with him. So that all of this, so that the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. What's the purpose of all this? Why did he raise them? Why is he seated in, at the right of the Father in heavenly places? And so are we. So that in the coming ages he might show his immeasurable riches of his grace. We will forever, not just here and now, but for all eternity, we will praise his immeasurable grace. We will realize even more so then how great a salvation we have now. We're limited in our abilities to think by our minds now, but his in His kingdom, which is another place, in another dimension, we will see from that perspective what a great salvation this was, what He actually really did that's beyond our comprehension, but we'll forever praise Him because His grace and the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us is going to be in Christ Jesus who we'll forever worship in heaven. I like the word Kindness. Grace, his unmerited favor was given in kindness. Christians, if you're not kind, you need to reevaluate your walk or your relationship with Christ. Because if you don't understand what you deserved and yet you got grace and received it, you say you received it, then there's no way you can't be kind. Because he was with you. He says, forgive one another as I have forgiven you. Well, you can't forgive anyone if you haven't been forgiven, if you don't know what that means. Love one another as I have loved you. Well, you can't love anyone else unless you know and feel and experience His love and accept it. And you love even though the person doesn't deserve it. Why? Because that's what He did for us. We have help. We don't do it alone. We have the Holy Spirit, which is the fruit of the Spirit is love. We need to get on 
track if we've been derailed in our thinking or if the flesh or our minds have somehow deceived us into believing that something else means Christians. No, this means being Christian. Kindness, because you have received his grace. A kindness uh, uh, and the immeasurable riches of his grace is speaking to us of his unmerited favor. Yes, God is kind to us. Even to those who by nature deserve no such kindness. If that doesn't sink in, your walk, and I said this on, on Wednesday, and it's like the, the Spirit of the Lord is triggering me to say it again, you know, then you live, if you're a Christian and don't know the immeasurable kindness and grace of the Lord, you're a, a, an impoverished Christian. You're a Christian that lives in, you, your, your life is poor. Because you may have said yes, maybe more so in a ceremonial way or a ritualistic way, but it has your heart, the love and the kindness and the mercy that God has for us. Then we get to the, what I think is one of the greatest verses of the Bible regarding the good news of Jesus Christ is found in verses 8 and 9. I'm going to talk about this for a minute and then we're going to wrap it up and have a Lord's Supper. Look what it says here. For by grace you have been saved. First fact. You're saved because of grace. God's a merit of favor. But it's only because there has to be a vehicle for which you obtain it. It's through faith. In other words, there has to be a mechanism that connects you. Faith. Action. Where you said yes. Amen? <coughs> I often talk about faith, and I like to talk about the ABCs of faith. Here they are. It's an acronym. Faith, in the biblical description and understanding, is action. Always faith is something you act on because you believe. So that's B. Action based on belief. What do you believe? You believe God's Word. And it's supported by confidence, which means it's not a one-time event. It's a continual event. It's a confidence. Confidence is something you continue doing every day, all the time. So Faith is action based on belief, supported by confidence. And that's the saving faith he's referring to here. Anything else is not saving faith. You can't just believe it. You have to act on what you believe. This is a simple thing. I never, know, I never forgot, I went into the restroom of, a, of a, 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 a grill, a bar and grill close to my work where they make really great tacos. And I went into the bathroom and there's a big sign. He says, I believe I'll have a beer. And everybody out there was drinking beer. They believed it to act on it. And the world knows how to do it. But what about us? God's saying, well, do you believe my word? Yeah, I believe it. Well, then act on it. And continue acting on it. Because it's true, right? You get that, what I'm trying to say? The world believes a lot of things and, and sometimes do nothing about it. I believe this, I believe that, but they don't, you don't see their life motivated really by those things. What do you believe in? You've got to believe in something. He's saying here, for by grace you have been saved through faith. If you don't have the faith, then you can't enjoy 
the salvation that comes to you by grace. Amen? And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works or merits, so that no one can boast. The only one that can receive glory and praise for salvation is Christ. Because he did it. And it says, and I believe when we look at this, you notice it says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a gift of God. What is the this? What is not of your own doing? Well, it's referring to the whole statement there in verse 8. It's referring to grace, but not only to grace. It's also referring to faith. Right? Because here's the way it works. Let me, let me explain this. What is the f- one of the fruit of the Spirit? Also, if we go into Galatians 5. One of the fruits of the Spirit is faith. Even the faith to respond to God's salvation He gives you. You still have to act it out. He's the one who... Remember, because your heart, the way you once were, was dead. Dead to respond. Dead to act. Dead to do anything. Dead to even know. Didn't even know you were lost. So the Holy Spirit begins to work in your life prior to you even knowing it. And it begins to spark in your heart an awareness, a knowledge. And then when you hear the gospel, He's the one who gives you life. He's the one who gives you not only the salvation, the grace, but also the faith. It's amazing. Remember, we can't be saved by exercising in our own power because we don't have any when it comes to spiritual things. Everything, salvation, belongs to the Lord. You connect to it through faith, by believing. Amen? It's like a... Man, I love electronic stuff, gadgets... Without a battery, this thing's worthless. Without a battery, I don't know, your TV, any electronic, your computer, without power, it doesn't do anything. It's just paperweight. Whatever that action is that you allows you to connect to the electricity, that's faith. You connect to Christ through faith. And then the life or the electricity, it's just an analogy. It's not perfect. But without the action, you're not connected. You're, there's no, no, no current feeding the device that needs it. And it's TV without electricity. I hate it when, it when the power goes out and the Lakers are like getting close to win. And we're all, me and Sam are just standing there looking at our blank TV like... Uh, uh, uh. Better get on the phone real quick and see what happened. It's dead. But what connects us is the work of the Holy Spirit and your choice, your free will to say, yes, I need a Savior. Anyway, finally, verse 10. Because of God's work 
in us. For by grace you are saved through faith. Then verse 10 explains God's work through us. First his working in us. First he worked. Then he worked in us. And now he works through us. You get the difference? First he worked. Where did he work? Through the cross. Through Christ. That work was finished. When he said it is finished. So first he worked in Christ. Then he works in us. For by faith you are saved through grace. Or by grace you are saved through faith. Then he works through us. For we are his workmanship. Verse 10. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You know the word workmanship is an interesting word in the Greek. I love it. The word is poema. P-O-I-E-M-A. What does it sound like? Poem. He's literally saying, and Paul, as he writes this in the Greek, because he didn't write it in English, English workmanship is a transliteration. It's trying to explain what the word means in the Greek. Poema. Anybody here ever write anything? An essay, a poem, a book. Is writing easy? What is writing? It's a work. It's a... It's your thoughts, your ideas, right? Your, your research, your expression of thoughts, of ideas, of concepts. You are his poema. He wrote you, you are his poem. He's working a poem out in your life. I got a beautiful poem since I met him. Isn't that a great poem? Just wanted to throw that out, have you think a little bit. We're God's poetry. But what it means is that He's working out through us, in Christ, good works. Right? The idea here is that good works cannot produce salvation but are subsequent or before sal- uh, come after s- salvation. In other words, good works are the product of salvation. You're not saved by works, but when you're saved, you work. You have good works. You're not saved by your efforts, but once you're saved, you have good efforts and good merits. They're the consequence of your relationship with Christ, not the reason for it. It's like trying to take the cart before the horse. No, the horse will always lead the cart. The, the works are behind the cart. Cart is the work of Christ. And the work of Christ in our hearts produce good works in our lives. Not the other way around. So He is working through us. And praise God for that. We are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. It's always been His will for us to produce good works for His glory and honor. That's what we're going to do, praise God, with His help. As we stay connected to Him by faith. As we walk with Him. Leaving behind what we were once. And living what we are now. We are 
children of the king. We are citizens of heaven. We are not alone. He's given us his spirit. He's given us his word. We have everything we need to be witnesses, faithful witnesses to a world that does not know him. Amen? Because we are in Christ and no longer in the world or in our flesh. It died at Calvary's cross. And we walk a new life because of what he did for us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you. This is so basic. This is so, so elementary, really, Lord. But wow, how profound, how deep this is. If we simply dig through it and realize what it is that your son Jesus has done for us. And the, my conclusion is that he's done everything. And yet, Lord, in the plan of salvation, we have the responsibility by our free will to say yes to all that he's done for us. To receive the gift. So all we can do is receive it. Accept it. Simply so. Knowing, Lord, that you've done it all. And that's why we're able to worship you and praise you and live for you. Because we realize, Lord, how great a salvation we have. And we thank you for that, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your message would sink deep into our hearts. And that we would always refer back to this chapter whenever we feel we need uh, to be refreshed again. We thank you, Lord, that we have it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.